0: If you thought you were going to quit drinking and suddenly your family relationships would be all healed up and smooth sailing, and then were disappointed when you realized that wasn't the case, this episode is for you. Family relationships change in recovery, but it is not always easy and comfortable change. We're here to let you know that you are definitely not alone and share some of the ways that we've found to navigate what can be pretty tricky waters. Don't forget to visit our website, throughtheglassrecovery.com, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. You will get access to our weekly sober hangout sessions on Zoom, articles with tips and tricks to keep you moving forward in recovery, and journal questions about the podcast topic so you can create your own growth. Okay, welcome, everyone. We are here tonight with Deanne, Kearney, and Allie. These are three people who have actually never been on the podcast with us before. So this is going to be super exciting. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. As per usual, we're going to go with our introductions. And Deanne, do you want to get started? Sure. When you told me I had introduce
2: introduce myself, I have no idea why I froze. That seems weird. I should be able to do this. <laughs> um, I also, when I got the topic that we're talking about today, I also was like, Oh, man, like, I actually have to think about some stuff and be thoughtful here. So thank you for pushing me (laughs) because I need it. I am Deanne. I am Deanne. (laughs) I am um, just under five years in recovery. I I recovered in a lot of shame and silence for the first two years of my recovery and uh, started Shifting my perspective about my second year in, that would have been about the time of the pandemic. I did a lot of work during that time actually online, got involved in a lot of different communities and perspectives around recovery and it changed everything for me. And being public about that is something that I am really proud of because I feel like it's one of the hardest and biggest accomplishments of my life. So why would I be ashamed of that? So I wear it with pride. And I will say that a little bit about me, I am about 20 years in a sales environment that contributed quite a bit to my drinking and just not only the social aspect, but the stress related to that as well. And I did leave the corporate world finally just over a year ago. I'm actually back in school now. I am attending Hazelden Betty Ford Graduate School of Addiction Studies to become a counselor for addiction and I just went and visited that campus for the first time last week. It was a really cool experience. Kind of a little I don't know some people listening might know of it and know that that Minnesota model is kind of a mecca of recovery and a lot of work around recovery has come out of Minnesota oddly of all places. So I'm excited to be a part of that, and I also have a little nonprofit that has a podcast. It's called Show Up and Stay, and uh, we also have a focus on workplace and what we call sober positive workplace right now, which is all about trying to normalize non drinking in the workplace. And that comes very much from my own personal experiences going back to work as a sober person and experiencing a lot of weird things. So.
0: I think I will stop there. That is perfect. That is awesome. I love hearing about all the things you're doing. That sounds really exciting. And super, super excited to hear some some of your perspective on our topic tonight. Now that I know that it's going to challenge you. So, <laughs> really cool. Thanks for being here. And next we'll go with Carney.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hopefully I can give you some good content here. I like to think of myself. This is kind of efficient. So... And the cut. What are man. you saying? <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I... <laughs> That's <was> it. <laughs> Talk about <a laughs> it you should put it in that ever you like. <laughs> Talk <laughs> about it <a laughs> <face and laughs> What are you saying? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> yeah, we <can laughs> <say it.
3: laughs> uh anyway. Yeah. So I'm I'm Kearney. Uh most of my uh you know, online sober friends and family know me as Curry. But uh, yeah, I started my sober journey. I uh, was probably, uh, I think it was like three years, eight months or so ago. I had a bad night in between then and now. I got 407 days uh street going here. So it's been good. Um, I didn't fall out too long. So I felt like I had a good base. So got back to it right away. Um, but, uh, that, that first, you know, two years, three months or so, I grew a lot during that time personally and learned a lot about myself, um, uh, being on the, I am sober platform just reading everybody's stories and their experiences, you know, just absorbing all that and relating to a lot of those things this kind of helped me realize a lot of things I, I didn't really consider about myself before and you know one of the biggest things is just discovering you know my introversion and you know how that really played into my drinking and how it affected my mood when I drank and I wasn't taking care of myself and you know there's so many things that just made sense uh you know just finding myself you know it was just priceless experience you know getting to know all those people and but yeah you know after a while you know it it took me a bit but you know i started kind of feeling like i needed a little more in-person interaction and um i started going to aa as well so i'm doing doing both probably more AA now. um i was a little reluctant to do that in the past i had some reservations about it and um, now that i've gotten back into it i've realized a lot of my reservations aren't necessarily accurate but i know it's not for everybody it's it's working for me right now and that's that's all that matters and do what you got to do right whatever whatever it takes yeah, yeah things are going pretty well and I want to say deanne I was actually at Hazleton sometime last year, uh, visiting my dad, but oh. so he went, he went through something there and he's, he, he just turned a year sober himself. So that's wow. kind of a big deal for our family. And Amazing. Every, everybody's really proud of him and, you know, that facility did wonders for him. So
2: yeah,
3: yeah. From the Minneapolis area, so familiar with the Hazelton thing, you know. Yeah, it's been up there these times. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I, that. I guess that's the gist of it for me.
1: Awesome.
0: Super cool. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you're doing so good. Um, it's really nice to see you again. I think the first time I met Kearney was. The very, very beginning of my recovery journey. So it's good to see you and, and good to get to chat with you again. And also, I think you and I now share a sober date.
1: You do which share. Is pretty
0: yeah, awesome. Yeah. So we're twinsies. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. one, one year apart.
0: One year <laughs> apart. Yeah. One year
1: apart. Hi. September 12th.
2: September 12th. Is so, it related to your birthdays, like your actual birthday? N-
1: no, 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 it's no,
2: not at all. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I've noticed that a lot of times people kind of have like one last hurrah for their birthday. I happen to fall in that category in uh, February. So that's what uh, I'm okay.
0: asking.
3: All oh, right. Yeah.
0: No, right. No, mine was completely random. It was just the the last day that I felt like feeling like shit. So, no, fair that's, enough. That's how that <laughs> happened.
1: <laughs> yeah. And short side story here with, with Kearney and this past summer when. I took a a road trip and I drove drove through Minneapolis and I fired Kearney off a text message and as I drove through Minneapolis him and I got together and had lunch. Yeah. And it was it was awesome.
3: Yeah, I would agree. It was priceless conversation. I mean, yep. it was super you cool. know. We we chatted like old friends and you know, I even told Steve I I don't think I had conversations like that with some of my best friends I grew up with. You know, Right. Um, so it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it was pretty
1: awesome. That
0: seems to be how recovery conversations go. I think that's really neat. And that in-person stuff is just amazing. And speaking of in-person, Steve and I have actually both been lucky enough to meet Allie in person also. Let's go ahead and and
4: get your intro, Allie. Yes. Hi, guys. Thank you for doing this. I'm Ali. I'm ten months and a week today. All right. My journey, and gosh, about me. Um, I've woven my way through many different uh, career and study, from art and music to agriculture, yoga, mm-hmm. uh, as a yoga instructor and Ayurveda, and now I'm just starting to dig into a project that I call the Silver Witch. Just kind of wanting to share some things that through this like first year of my uh, sober journey that kind of helped me along really connecting with um, the cycles of nature and life and just being really present for it for the first time in decades to be honest you know and so that's my little fun thing that I'm playing with and I'm gonna release around Halloween but it was apropos (laughs) but yeah this journey has been so life-changing and incredible and I do thank you for doing your podcast and the work that you do, because that's what those kind of things are what led me to this point in my life today, which like every single day I have gratitude for. Um, never thought I would even get here, honestly. And it was just, you know, getting to a low point and really reaching out in the dark and just trying grasp, grasping for things, you know, and I found podcasts and quit lit and all these things. And it was just happened to be one episode of one podcast that I heard uh the person put said their contact information was in the show notes I reached out she contacted me back and led me to this whole community that changed my life really so
1: just like that
4: um yeah i mean honestly it was you never know like you guys were saying whatever works and everyone has their own journey but you know thank thank everything <laughs> that that one thing clicked for me that it turned on a light and that I'm here today and I'm talking with you guys. So thank so, you.
1: So the Sober Witch is a blog that you're starting. I believe, yeah. And I th- do you have a date for when that's going to launch?
4: Um, Probably on Halloween this month. Awesome. Uh, October okay. 31st. Okay. And it's going to be like an article or blog on um, the Sobertown website. Mm-hmm. And I'll also have an Instagram and an email contact and things like that. And it's, you know, it's just who knows what helps somebody? You know, it's kind of stuff that I was looking for and I didn't find in the beginning of my journey. And I, as I learned myself um, some things that just aided me, I thought, hey, maybe other people might like it. Maybe it connects with other people. So I'm just throwing it out there for some fun and some help.
1: Awesome. I think awesome.
4: that's
0: amazing. That's really cool. I One of my favorite thing about podcasts and about things like this is that all of our voices are going to be out there. You never know who needs to hear your story and your perspective. And, you know, you just you never know. So thankful for all of you guys for being here and sharing bits of your story with us. And hopefully the things that you say today will connect with someone in a way that they really mean. So we all know that our drinking affected everyone around us, some more than others. But when someone is suffering from substance use disorder, everyone in their life is affected. As a result, many of us experienced very damaged and very problematic family relationships. But I think it's also important to talk about the effect of our recovery and what it's had in our lives and the effect that it's had on the people in our lives, too. How have your family relationships changed since you stopped drinking is our topic for today. Anybody's welcome to jump in. Um, it's kind of a free-for-all, and we'll just uh, we'll go from there.
1: Firing squad, go.
0: Okay, I, I can get us started.
1: Okay.
2: So, it's so funny. I'm just hearing you ask this question again, and so much of the preparation I did was actually more of the opposite question, which is how did my drinking affect versus how... Does my recovery affect, but they do go hand in hand, right? So I guess to speak to kind of the before and after is is maybe the direction I'll go here. So this was really interesting for me to reflect on. Um when I went into treatment over five years ago, I had, or just under five years ago, I had gotten to the point in my life that I had convinced myself that I had shed all the relationships that would be impacted by my choices to the point that I was so incredibly isolated that I did all of it on my own. I looked up recovery centers on my own. I dragged myself off my couch. I think the thing that got me there, honestly, was this moment I had about my dog and who would take care of my dog. And that outside of that, that was it. And I don't say that to, uh, like, no, it sounds so awful and depressing but there is so much joy in the story that you're going to hear in just a minute but that that was the truth and i think what was interesting about the way that i felt my substance use was impacting people was a lot of lying to myself that thinking that it wasn't thinking that i was much better at hiding it and lying about it than i really was and i didn't realize a lot of that until further along in my recovery because I really thought that I had done a really good job of protecting people from me. And some of the ways that I would do that is I'm very good at running and withdrawing. You know, the minute that I would sense any form of rejection or that I wasn't going to somehow be palpable to someone, I would very quickly find a way to just make sure that I put enough space up in that relationship that there wasn't going to be room for any mutual expectation. And... And, and, and that's, you know, I have a fairly large family, but this even extends to my family of origin. I mean, we, not to say we don't have a relationship. I have relationships with all of them, but most of them lived other places. You know, we didn't have day-to-day involvement in each other's lives. You know, they didn't, it, I didn't even tell most of them until much later. But I remember sitting in recovery and they would talk about having these family family interventions or like bringing your family in. And I remember how impactful that was for me to sit there and realize like my marriage had ended. I had, I was 39. I didn't have kids of my own. So I didn't have children. I had quit my job because it, I was falling apart and I wanted to quit them before they quit me. And I had severed you know, any sort of accountability to any other relationships in my life. So I said to them, I'm like, no, really, there isn't there's there's no one to bring, you know. And I don't know. It's weird. I can say that with a smile now. But it was obviously a wake up call, but it took longer than you would think for me to sort of figure all of that out, um, because what I realized was that first I had to recover from My addiction to alcohol, that was first and foremost. Nothing else could come until I got through that. And for me, that first whole year was kind of tough. I I really couldn't even start working on some of these other areas like my relationship development skills and the tools and the the very tricky ways that I had learned to keep people at a distance from me. And I also had to accept the fact that I wanted people in my life. I, and I did, and I needed it, and I craved it. I craved it so much. That was why I was so empty, you know, but I didn't know how to put all of that story together until later. So I am long-winded. Sorry, Jeff, I'm going to keep going. I'm almost done. It's good. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um,
1: <laughs> it's it's even
2: um, it <laughs> I know. I know this is... Uh, Okay. Sorry. I just, I'm almost there. Okay. So I think that like, so recovery for me has been an interesting process because it really has been relearning how to be a human being and how to build connections with people at age 40. I mean, I really had a level of immaturity around what I thought intimacy and I don't even, I don't, I mean, all kinds of intimacy, just being a human and showing up for humanity and other people. I had a really misguided view of that. And the other thing, though, that came is that I found that I carried a lot of shame, as we all do. And so was, none of this is to say that I didn't have things that I feel bad about or people that I that I need to make amends to or that people that were hurt by the way that I withdrew from life or the ways that I would kind of disappear. I may not have actively done anything but there was a lot of passive ways that I think I created harm for a lot of people in my life, including family, mm-hmm. and I had to come to terms with all of that. But what I found was I was kind of neglecting all of that, and I was overly focused on these other areas where I was getting all of my self-loathing from and saying, like, "This, these are the things that just make me not worth, not worth it to anybody. And until I kind of could clear that out and realize that, yeah, there maybe there are pieces of those things that I have accountability to. But then what I found with most of them is that in most cases, I was owning way more of the situation than I actually needed to. And then I wasn't owning some of these, like, smaller ways that I was just being an asshole. You know, like, really? And, like, just... Real, just kind of like all disrespect. Backwards. Exactly. Not just
1: all like, backwards, right? It's like owning their part instead of you owning your part, and you're giving them their part, and then I'm taking your part, and it's just one big. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's a hodgepodge.
2: But you can still feel like you're noble somehow or protecting other people or the stories that I could tell myself really are kind of shocking when I look back on them. So I think, yeah, it's just that that was a really interesting piece. So for anybody who's listening, who's in those early stages, I mean, for me, the biggest thing for me in terms of my healing was dealing with my shame and getting it right sided, not to say running from it, not to say deciding that I shouldn't have any, but figuring out like where I needed to like what I really wanted and the type of person that I really wanted to be. Do do I want to be somebody that people can't count on because I'm never on time? Do I want to be someone that nobody thinks of calling first when they need something because I'm so unreliable? I decided I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to anymore. I was ready to show up differently. But what I found through that, in particular with my family, is that that process takes a lot of time. And I, and I don't want to say that to discourage anyone. It's just the truth. It's like you can say, I've changed. I'm going to be different. I have different goals now. But the reality is and the tough part is is that most people aren't really going to start picking up on it until they see some things in action. And that can be hard, I think, because you can feel so changed and so like you're <laughs> vibrating as like this new human and you just want everyone else to feel it, but then there is this kind of tough reality of like, I have to, I just have to start one thing, you know, with, with okay. each interaction, I just start doing things a little bit differently and showing up differently. And then eventually now I see a massive change in my relationships with, with family and um, in particular. And I have done a lot of work around um my part with like my relationship with my partner I've done a lot of therapy around my issues with intimacy I won't go down that whole road (laughs) but I just I hopefully this gives a nice uh kind of understanding of what that process has been for me but I
0: um thank you
1: Okay, bye. If you, okay, <laughs> bye. <laughs> it's like Deanna's gonna hang out with the phone now. <laughs>
0: it is no it's huge though. And that I think you illustrated perfectly that it is a freaking huge process. It we start And I know, like you said, for me, I'm like, I'm a completely different person now. And everybody should accept that about me. And, you know, everybody else should be as excited to move forward as I am. And everybody else in my family was like still standing back watching me like, I don't know what the hell to do with you. Right. And I'm like, all of a sudden coming in and I'm like, you know, starting to speak my truth and I'm starting to talk more vulnerably and I'm trying to like develop emotional intelligence and connect on a real level for the first time in their lives. And they're not like just jumping on board, right? Like that's not how that goes. They're like, I don't know what you're doing. And so they kind of stand there and look at you and kind of, you know, like make sure that they keep you at arm's length. And they're like, okay, like I don't get this. And the, I mean, I'm I'm two years into this and I'm still very much in that place. Um, I So I never, and I think you talked about this, Deanne, I never understood what connection felt like or what it was. Never in my life, even as a teenager, I never had the friendships um, that involved really being vulnerable and really talking honestly about what I was feeling and what I was experiencing. Everything was surface level. It was that way with my parents. Like my parents are... God love them emotionally dumb, right? They just can't have those conversations. And that's what I was raised with. Mm -hmm. I married a man who was raised by very similar parents who are emotionally dumb, maybe even more than mine, which is hard to do. And so he had the same experience. And so I finally show up in the recovery community and people are having these conversations. And I was like, holy shit, my whole world changed because I felt connection. And I started developing these friendships that felt real for the first time in my life. And that's what I wanted from my family. That's what I wanted from all of my relationships. And at some point, like I remember just realizing connection with other humans is literally the meaning of life. That's why we are here. That's why we are placed on this earth to interact with one another is to actually create meaningful connection And I had never experienced it before I turned, like you said, until I was like 40. And so that's like what I, that's all I want in my life now is meaningful connection from friends and from family and from random strangers in a Zoom room on a podcast and wherever I can get connection, right? But other people don't necessarily understand that or like jump on board with that as quickly as I think we would like for them to. It's
1: like the difference between like, I, I can go and have lunch with some people, but I can not go and have lunch with someone like Kearney and have the conversation that I did with him. It's just a different level. Like, I've met him one more time in person, but, I mean, we're both people in recovery, and then when you sit down with someone in recovery, you're already met meeting each other at... It seems to be anyways. This isn't my experience. You're already meeting each other at at a level of vulnerability that's that you almost like innately understand exists anyways i'm gonna stop ali go for it i saw you unmuted
4: <laughs> just wanted to jump in because i'm just sitting here you don't see me on the screen but i'm just shaking my head yes to everything you guys are saying just resonating so deeply and to that end point there steve just it was a game changer, a life changer, finding community that understands, mm-hmm. um, where you feel like understood, seen, heard. I, I feel like a, it sounds so silly, but I, I think you said that too, Dan, though. It's like becoming this whole new person, like learning how to be a person at this point in life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's scary and wild, but amazing and wonderful all at the same time. And mm-hmm. I am in the process of it, you know, I'm in the middle of it. And yeah, so I, I feel so grateful for for the community to, to find people in the same space that we can learn to share and be vulnerable together, because it is kind of freaky and scary. I mean, looking at this topic of, you know, our relationships and our family and friends around us, like everything has been turned upside down for me. And that's kind of what led me to this sober path. Um, just because I was like, this is nuts. I don't understand what's happening. I don't even understand myself anymore. I felt really vulnerable in ways where it was more toxic. Like how I was being received or my relationships felt more toxic than healing. So being in this space now is where the healing and growth can happen. And so I don't have that many people around me anymore. Like the relationships that were there before. And I think it's—I look at it in a positive way. I, I don't, you know, I'm only responsible for myself, and that's the biggie uh, that I'm learning in this path—is like responsibility, like for my for myself, responsibility for my actions, for what I share, for what I hold, how I act. Um, all of it sounds again so silly to say, it, you know, as an adult person, but really being self-responsible, uh, and that not sounding scary because that probably would have sounded scary to previous me. I mean, that was all my avoidant behavior. So being responsible. So not having that many relationships still left standing onto this side of the journey. Like I haven't really shared with my family or anything. Maybe I'm just not ready for that at this point. You know, I'm kind of early in the game. Maybe at some point I will, but I still can see the the differences and the shifts. I did see Um, amongst the few people around me family included even though they didn't know the journey I was on they weren't comfortable with the changes I think also being like a card-carrying people pleaser and you know just kind of being malleable to whatever serves everybody else but not taking care of myself not being responsible for myself and my own well-being you know that that bumps up against how people have known you uh, their whole life or your whole life so far. So there was kind of like a a growth and change period therein with that. But it, it comes to a positive place, I find. I mean, it, even at this point in my journey, I find that there's more understanding and calmness and openness. But yeah, and as far as where I feel personally with making new friends, I mean, again, our community is just mind blowing. I don't even know <laughs> how this is so magical that people can that don't even haven't even met in person sometimes can share so much and um it just means the world but I still feel really vulnerable with opening up myself to new friends I'm gonna I'm air quoting like IRL in, in real life I just still and it's okay because I'm kind of protective of this new me and whatever baby steps I need to take to keep going forward here I've learned is totally okay. Whatever I have to do to protect this and feel safe and feel good is fine and everything will evolve uh from there. So, that's my two cents. Absolutely. I think I'm really similar
0: as far as what you were saying Ali about being a people pleaser. And for for my family and and I'll say like my family of origin, you know, my parents and Um, and brother but then also my husband and my kids nobody really knew that I had a drinking problem like I hid that really well so I was you know spending an awful lot of time wasted and nobody really I mean they might have seen me get a little you know overdone a few times here and there but nobody assumed that I actually had like you know a problem so when I quit drinking like It wasn't a big deal to them. It wasn't this big. You know, there are some people who are so toxic when they're drinking that they're just going around destroying the lives of everyone around them. And that wasn't me. I was bending over backwards to keep everybody happy and to make sure everybody liked me and to make sure my life looked absolutely perfect. And so when I quit drinking, then I stopped doing those things and I stopped making sure that everything looked perfect and I started letting my life be real and I stopped people pleasing. And so it has been a super uncomfortable journey for especially the people closest to me because I'm not the person that they were really comfortable being around. And that has been hard because then I second-guess myself. I'm like, maybe I should be trying harder. Maybe I should, you know, make things look more perfect because, gosh, it made my mom so comfortable to know that her daughter had the perfect life, right? And then I'm finally like, the Deanne's like, oh, my God. So <laughs> 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 it's finally like, hey, y'all, my life yes. not perfect, right? And then my mom's, like, disappointed. And I'm like, it's really hard to do the thing that's best for you, and disappoint the people around you because we're people pleasers and we're perfectionists like disappointing people is the most horrible awful terrifying feeling ever right so when you start doing that and you're like this is best for me you're just gonna have to be disappointed that is a really hard thing to do and I even have to come back and tell Steve or tell my therapist, like, hey, I'm second guessing myself again. And then Steve or my therapist is like, no, seriously, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> like, I, I have to keep I, I need that to like, I need them to keep reiterating you're doing the right thing for you because it's it's yeah. hard.
1: It's so hard to validate yourself when you're a card carrying people pleaser. Like when yeah. you carry that card with passion, right? You're so used to being a, a dang doormat that that it's really hard to actually you know ring the doorbell right
4: Mm -hmm. yeah it's a big step to move out of that character role into being responsible for yourself and you're really not doing anyone any favors trying to run around you know pleasing everyone you're never going to do it what you really just have to take care of yourself and that's that's a big step that's been a big step on this path for me
1: Kearney, you've said a lot so far, so I'm going to give you some space to go for it, buddy. I appreciate it.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, the people-pleasing that, you know, I think a lot of us were definitely guilty of that. I, I think I was raised the people-pleaser, you know, like do everything for everyone else and, you know, don't be selfish. I brought up pretty strict Catholic family and, do this for the church do this for the school and you know the the change that you know affected the people around i guess you know to understand the changes you know to understand where i came from in the beginning you know yeah it wasn't until i started aa i really realized that i was really the you know that first drink i took at 14 i was I was an alcoholic that day at that moment I've been chasing that buzz ever since and uh, what attracted me most to it was it brought me out of my shell you know that was at first that was like the biggest draw for me because I was a quiet kid I was shy not real confident and booze just took all that away and uh you know for a year it's going into high school it made it easier to talk to people and you know I mean that people asked me in school you know if I was stuck up and this and that I was just quiet you know and I wasn't I wasn't stuck up I never thought I was better than anyone else you know and so going to parties and that you know I just I'd kick it into high gear and just Start drinking, and I'd always take it too far. Never had the off switch. Yeah, you know, I wasn't an everyday drinker, but when I was a drinker, it was full speed, and that's where I got in the most trouble. You know, I just couldn't control it. And uh you know, what I thought, you know, I was being social and fun, and you know, you know, a lot of people saw it as, you know, oh, he drinks a lot. You know, I, I heard parents. You know i had friends that tell me their parents were calling me an alcoholic you know back in my early days in high school and so i earned that badge pretty early you know and which probably didn't do wonders for me either but um well uh you know just kind of going through life like that and being trying to be social and fit into that that mold that people just kind of expected you know that was just kind of what i was doing and it just grew from there into sometimes drinking for no reason at home or you know and even then taking it too far it wasn't just having a few to relax it was having a few and having a few more and passing out late at night watching tv or whatever um you know and that's how i met a lot of my friends after my wife and you know is is in those circumstances and uh so fast forward to getting sober this last time around you know where i've really grown to realize i almost feel like a broken record talking about my introversion but it was such a big deal to find that and realize i've been going against the grain for so long trying to fit in and please everybody else you know is exhausting and you know in the last three and a half years i've been growing into that i've been reading books about it i've been you know i took the myers-briggs test and you know I, i i've been doing all these things to learn more about myself and it's all really coming together and i've i'm actually like gaining confidence in myself because of it and kind of getting back to the person I was really meant to be. And, you know, it's been good in a lot of ways where, you know, I, I know how to take care of myself a little better. I know, you know, when I need to kind of back off socially, you know, I'm, I can be a social person. I just need to keep it, you know, at a manageable level, I guess.
2: Right.
3: You can tell when I'm overdoing it, you know, I get this face. And... <laughs>
0: Do you find that? So like when I quit drinking, my my very first, like, I don't know, the first thing that I did was go on this major authenticity journey because I felt like I had no idea who I was. Right. And I think Carney and I may have actually kind of talked a little bit about that at some point, but it was like, like this big authenticity thing. Who am I really? I had no idea what I even enjoyed doing. I didn't know that I'm, I'm also very, I'm not very introverted. I'm more introverted than I ever realized. So I had to re-meet myself. But then I had to essentially reintroduce myself to my parents and my children and my husband and anybody else that knew me. Like I was introducing a really new version of me to all of the people that thought they knew me. And I think that really throws people for a loop, even if it's not bad, right? You're just all of a sudden like, well, actually, no, I don't like going out to parties all the time. I'm really a lot happier. Just, you know, let's stay home or let's go out to coffee. Just two of us. And they're like, wait, what? You know, it's like a whole they get to meet the new you while you're meeting the new you, I think.
1: Well, that's like the whole like my part of the story if we'll just go to like recent history my marriage I, I drank through a good portion of it and then it increased through that right so like different person different reality different everything quit drinking and then I'm listening to you guys talk and, and the words that come to my mind is like I was I'm fighting my identity versus finding it and then as, and as soon as I mm-hmm. quit drinking I stopped fighting who Everyone thought I was supposed to be. I was this laundry list of things. Steve, you like this. Steve, you like that. Steve, you like this. Steve, you like that. These are the things that you like to do. These are the things that you do for me. Blah, 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 blah. It's like all of this list of what does Steve do for Steve? Nothing Nothing really other than at that point in time, like Steve, all he did was like work to try and find the next drink. But, you know, on the other side of that, as soon as I started discovering that, I actually had power. I had the power to say no. I had the power to actually go and do the, the thing that I thought was the right thing to do, even though it didn't keep everyone around me comfortable. Especially in, in, in my family at that, that time, I mean, it didn't, my relationship didn't work out very good and we've moved on from each other now and We're in a lot better place for it, for not being in the same place anymore. So that marriage is gone now, but the kids are the kids are happy. We're both happy. Everything is in a much better place. But the relationship, and now I'm living with my mom and dad. That was a relationship where I was super super distant from and isolated from. Saw them twice a year, two three times maybe, like but for really short period of times, and really no conversation that would lead you know past the weather and sports and anything that that went beyond the surface like i that's what that's what i enjoy now is is conversations that go beyond the surface i have a hard time making small talk for any considerable amount of time like i want to you know talk about your inner weather not the outer weather because that's, that's where I've grown to learn who I am and then and I want to hear about who you are that's what I want to know like that that to me is intriguing and interesting now it was before I never cared but I get to approach these relationships now with a lot more compassion than I ever did before and I can see now you know some of the dynamics that you know I created that that were just broken and then you talk about you know, all of the change that ends up happening. Well, it's, it's very much, you've all talked about it too. Like you're, you're almost like a newborn again. It's like, wow, I feel like a 14 year old sometimes. And, and I'm getting past the, the, at two and a half years sober, I'm getting past the point where I feel like I'm, I'm the toddler now that had my suckers stolen from me, but that was me at one point in early recovery. Where like sometimes I felt like a two-year-old, like I I was, I was having hissy fits over things that I didn't need to, but I hadn't learned how to deal with life properly yet at the same time. So like, I love the fact that Ali's here and saying that, you know what, I, I'm distant from these relationships because it is kind of a lonely journey in, in, in chunks and sections of it. And Ali, what you said is super important. What you're experiencing is super important. I experienced that too. But it it was lonely. There was like a lack of people, except for the recovery community. Until I found the cur- I found the courage to like put myself out there again, to be exposed. Because I have enough self inner self worth, which I I still fight for, but I have enough that I can hold on to, and then I don't have people to go back to when I've made a mistake or my feelings got hurt because someone said something mean because I, I didn't know what to do with it, so now I'm mad or whatever that may be, right? It's, it's a lot of my inner work has, has spilled over into the relationships with my mom. That whole relationship has, has been reborn way, way more than it ever has been which is fantastic. Like I've never had this good of a relationship with my mother. I don't know ever. So there's good that comes from it. And and I think the relationships that fall off are probably the, are the relationships that weren't meant for me anymore anyway. And I think I have to just accept that I can't force people to still be in my life or mold myself to be what, they need me to be if that isn't me.
0: And it all takes a lot of time. Yeah. Like we're all at very different parts of the uh, like different places in this journey, right? Like Deanne, you've got five years and an alley, you're at 10 months and I'm like in the middle of that. And and I think we have to have so much patience with ourselves and I think that we can't rush it. I know that I'm not in a place to like dive into a super vulnerable relationship or or conversation with my parents right now like I'm still at two years too fragile for that like it's just I'm just not there and that's okay right now that has to be okay it doesn't it also doesn't mean it's going to be that way forever I'm starting to realize that these relationships that have gone distant that's okay for right now and in my I think maybe this is just like my alcoholic brain that just wants to write it off and be like fine that person's just gone Apparently that's just not going to work out ever, right? And I think it's important to realize that we're still changing and we're still growing into that too. We just have to be really gentle and really patient with ourselves and with the people around us too.
1: We look at it. How long did it take us to like destroy and isolate ourselves from those relationships? Maybe not destroy, but like damage them anyways. You know what I mean? It took a lot of years to get to where that went. It's going to take... And it seems like an enormous mountain to climb, but it's one hell of a journey, right? Right? It really is. And it's, I don't know, it's pretty damn rewarding once you figure out, I'm probably going to wrap this up too, because we're getting close to the. And
2: can I jump in? Yeah, go for it. I do want to comment. Well, it's kind of everything that we've just been saying. I love the direction this has taken. And um, what Kearney was talking about in terms of the introversion, I think is a really important key. And something that I can relate to in the sense that I used alcohol as a way to what I thought was connect with people. And it was kind of this tool that I found that was almost like a shortcut that I felt like was like leading me to this level of in- intimacy quicker that somehow I was shortcutting
1: the, the shortcut process. of vulnerability.
2: <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and then like these are my people. These are the people who, you know, tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And and I and so and then in relation to what Ali was saying about kind of early sobriety, there is a loneliness factor to some degree with that. And there's a lot of fear because I was like, that was the only place that I really knew how to do this. So now what? You know, um, so it let so I actually brought this quote with me. Please just bear with me. This is from Laura McCowan of The Luckiest Club. Um, she wrote a book called We Are the Luckiest. I love it. It's one of my favorites. But she talks a lot about this idea. And I just thought that this like really summed up everything that we just talked about, which is that drinking gave me the illusion of connection. When I was drinking with people, I felt like we were getting closer. I felt like alcohol allowed us to break down barriers, to slide closer to our truer selves and to each other, closer than we can ever get without it. But when the buzz wore off, The separateness returned, and often it was intensely magnified. The loneliness didn't end when I started to know people in sobriety or when I found new ways to fill my time. Loneliness started to abate only when I began to really let people in and tell them the truth, and that took a long, long time. Very
1: well said. I don't even need to recap uh, anything. <laughs> I
2: has us, she has us covered.
1: I don't even I'm not I'm I'm not going to. I'm like I've really <laughs> uh, you pretty much summed it all up well enough like I don't have words for that just just Deanne shows up with a final mic drop and it's going to be the first episode. And though it's not
2: my words not my words it's, it's but I literally world. wrote it down in preparation for this conversation I'm like yes and I'm like this and then as everyone's talking I'm like this is it right here.
1: Yeah it is it, it really is and it it, it uh, I think the key part here is is it doesn't happen fast it'll happen yep. faster for some people than it will for others because you're we're, we're dealing with people family is people right and everyone's going to have their own version of of heal of of their healing of us and whether that's acceptable to them or not either so it just takes time I want to say thank you Deanne thank you Kearney and thank you Allie for joining us on the podcast tonight I really appreciate your thoughts and your time thank you so much
2: Thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks for doing this podcast. I love it. You guys awesome. were great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, you were. Thanks so much to our listeners for sharing your time with us today, guys. If you haven't left a review or rating for our podcast, please, please, please go do that. Unless you hate it, then don't go and do that. But seriously. Those ratings mean the world to us and make a huge difference in how many people see our podcast recommended to them. We would love for more people to hear these conversations.